This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, do aliens exist? Does God exist? What is faith? Just a few dinner party conversation starters that this week's first movie attempts to answer as Jodie Foster turns her big-ass telescope skyward in search of extraterrestrial life. We're heading back to 1997 to find out what happened when she made contact. This morning's detection of an unidentified radio source from deep space can neither be confirmed nor denied. Whatever it is, it ain't local. Position? I checked into barometry somewhere in Lyra, I think. Uh, Vega? Can't be. It's only 26 light years away. I want all these people out of here. You're having sent this announcement all over the world may well constitute a breach of national security. Oh, this isn't a person-to-person call. This may be an announcement to get our attention. The president's called an emergency meeting. You know those interlaced frames that we thought were noise? This says structure. While in the blue corner... We're on an Earth of the future, which is not the best place to live unless you love dust. And I mean, really love it. Matthew McConaughey is on a mission to save humankind as we know it. And Christopher Nolan has another scratch of his permanent itch, the concept of time. In this case, a whopping two hours and 49 minutes. From 2014, it's Interstellar. The late coop. Yeah, we had a flat. Indian surveillance drone. Solar cells power an entire farm. What'd you do, Murph? Uh, she didn't do nothing. Murphy's law. You're a well-educated man, Coop. And a trained pilot. And an engineer. The world doesn't need any more engineers. We didn't run out of planes and television sets. We ran out of food. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out! It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Putters. I don't know if aliens exist, but I guess I'd say if it's just us, 
seems like an awful waste of space. An awful waste of space. Space. Uh-huh. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to this week's Wormhole War. <laughs> uh, I'm once again... It, I don't... You know what? The minute I came up with Wormhole War, I was like... It makes me feel uncomfortable, and I'm not sure why. Um, I'm recording remotely again this week, uh, which means I cannot see your beautiful faces. How are they? Yeah, looking good. <laughs> I feel like I'm looking great. I know Vicky's looking awesome. Thanks, Chris. Lovely, lovely. Um, I'm very hot uh, where I am, that the sun is coming in through my office window and it's heating me up. Um, so I'm in shorts for the first time ever. Ever, yeah. Which is... Uh, yeah, it's disconcerting. Are you um, going to be, you know, there's nothing like a convert's zeal. So from now on, will you just always be in shorts? Oh, God, no. No, I mean, I'm in shorts and a vest top. And um, <laughs> as, I, as I'm <laughs> sure you can verify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I I don't have the physique for a vest top. Uh, it kind of looks a bit like someone's draped a flag around a broom handle. So uh, not looking great. But there you go. The beauty of remote recording. Uh, Chris! These were your choices. Tell us about them. Um, they're contacting Interstellar. What, what What am I telling you? Are we not guessing the connection? Well, I just thought you might have a little bit of a backstory to why you picked them. There's sometimes an anniversary or you've remembered that one of the cast fell over on a certain day and you want to celebrate <laughs> that. I think Christopher Nolan has been in the movie discourse for the last few weeks, maybe even months. So uh-huh. I thought it was about time we visited with Mr. Nolan and... Um, I remember when Interstellar came out, a lot of the conversation was, oh, this is a bit like contact. Yeah. Can Um, I also just say, I think these choices were amazing and I've had the best week and I've had to refrain from texting you both twice going, I'm not crying at contact, you're crying at contact. Mm. And then again with Interstellar, (laughs) I've just been a mess. I've found it unbearably profound. It's an emotional roller coaster. We probably should have done a three-way with Arrival because then it would have been been just eight hours of tears. Yeah. Do you know what? The uh, the other film, and it was one of the guesses on Twitter that I thought would have really worked, especially with Interstellar, was Lost in Space, uh, which might not have been as many tears, but actually remembering the end of Lost in Space, it's very fucking Interstellar. Well, that's one for the back pocket. I'm sure there's a few things we could pair with Lost in Space, maybe if we have a bad movie week. <laughs> yeah, Um now, listen, um, I know you want to jump straight into the connections because it's going to be a very, very big section this week. Uh, do you want to uh, quickly go through some of the clues on Twitter? Uh, we had a few um, a few guesses. You gave the clue last week, Chris, which was Oscar winners in orbit. And you followed that up with what on our Twitter page at ClassPod? Time is not a flat circle. Awesome. Oh, I love that. Love that clue. I really did. When I saw you post that, I was like, oh, he's on form this week. Um had a lot of guesses. Uh, Bram Bram Bigelow said Source Code versus Donnie Darko. A lot for Looper, Joel Trodden. Looper versus Predestination. Defias Monk, Looper versus Time Cop. Very good. David Morris, Looper versus 12 Monkeys. Ryan, Looper versus Interstellar. And then the people who'd actually listened to the clue on last week's episode about being in orbit. Uh, Reese Page, Interstellar versus Gravity. Uh, Paul Logue, Interstellar versus Lost in Space. Uh, but the winner is Mike. Congratulations. I believe when I wrote this, anyway, he was the only right answer this week. So congrats, Mike. And he was the first answer as well. Mike's 
Mike's, Mike's living his best life. Right <laughs> You're about to say he's cheating. And I, just, I do just want to say, though, in case you don't watch True Detective, uh, Time is a Flat Circle is something that Matthew McConaughey's character says multiple times in that show. So that was, that's why you would have figured it out if you knew that quote. I'm guessing some people won't have seen True Detective and thinking, what the hell oh. are you talking about? Oh, I thought... Oh, I, th- I, took, I took that clue in a completely different way. I thought it was because in contact, they bend the schematics of the machine from a flat circle into a sphere, and the black hole is not a hole. It's a sphere in Interstellar. Is that part of it as well? Oh, yeah, no, it has a double meaning, but the phrase is actually right, right, something right, right, right. Yeah, from that show as well. Right, 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 right. Uh, connections, then. Uh, I've, got, I've got two. You ready? Your dad isn't dead, love. He's in space. And secondly, <laughs> I'm very proud of this. Hope, faith, and gravity. Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, very good. good. I got a nod. Yeah. Yeah, Daddy and Daughter Day was definitely one of them. Uh, Alex, did you have one? Uh, wormholes, the theory of relativity, beings thinking in multiple dimensions, widowed fathers, smart daughters, producer Linda Ops, <laughs> theoretical physicist Kip Thorne. Uh, that's just a few. I've got a couple more. Do Matthew it. McConaughey drinking bottled beer in a way that makes you really want a bottle of beer. <laughs> oh not to jump ahead too far, but the um, the bottle of beer is in strong contention for my most valuable whatever. I've never wanted a drink more. <laughs> so right, so what is it? Is it for, is it the fact that in both locations, on his dusty porch and in the jungle bar, it's so hot? Yeah. You're like, oh. Or is it something to do with the way he holds the bottle? Because he's got a very sort of casual way of holding that bottle. Whatever he does, he makes me want beer. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think you might have a uh, problem final there. One. <laughs> fi- final, uh, final one is, uh, is it, uh, you're not going to like this one, is it that both films get steadily worse the longer they go on? Hey, <laughs> is that true? Controversial. <laughs> I, I've, uh, I, I wrote down some lyrics that sum up one of the connections. We're heading for something, somewhere I've never been. Sometimes I'm frightened, but I'm ready to learn of the power of love. Lovely. Jennifer Rush. Yeah. I was going to say the Spice Girls because of your, your fondness, but I, I recognise it now. <laughs> Uh, what is the actual connection, Christopher? Well, you've mentioned the word a couple of times, but I'll put it in my own words. Uh, my connection is wormholes are like assholes. Both our movies have one. That's beautiful. Oh, how to cheapen? Oh, yeah. the innate poetry of these films. <laughs> so, um, here is uh, my uh, little introduction to the film Contact. Contact has a lot of people talking for exactly 34 minutes before anything happens, then a lot of stuff happens. Uh, I forgot to write Oh my, my God, did you forget? Uh, this week. Did you forget? I forgot as well, <laughs> and I've just realised that I've forgotten. How bad is that? Oh, oh my God. Why did we both forget? I've no idea. It's probably because Chris gave us movies that you need a fucking degree to understand. <laughs> I feel like I've been at university all week. I have so much. I don't want you to think I've half-arsed this, Chris. I have so much here. So much. We're, we're, just not a synopsis. Uh, in that instance, you, I would just read out the IMDb synopsis. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, and coast, coast it. Um, were either of you, before we get going, were either of you any good at science at school? 
Alex, you must have been, because I've always meant to ask you about this. If you went to medical school for 10 minutes or whatever it was, mm. you had to have science yeah. to get into medical school, didn't you? Or, or not? Do, do you? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it got found out mighty quick. <laughs> do you not have any science? Yeah, yeah of course. Of which course one? I do, yeah. Uh, um, oh, which one? So I've got biology uh, and chemistry and physics. You did so three, three science A levels. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's I mean, the, I'm, they, they I'm do so check. impressed. I want to say I'm really smiling. I'm so impressed. I mean, I always fancied myself as like that I understood physics, but I was just very tempted by humanities because it's piss easy. So that was the right. end of he, physics he, for me. He did, he did the A-levels. He didn't say the grades, though. But he got into medical school. So okay. it, must, it must be okay. Yeah. Or, or I, is it? I got... I got an uh, I got an A in biology and a B in chemistry and a B in physics. So not bad. That's yeah, not that's pretty that's damn good. That's I'm amazing. impressed. I'm impressed. So we have our scientist uh, for the episode. True. Uh, well, hang on a sec. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of pressure, but yeah, all right. Come on, I'll Dr. take Zane. it. I'll, I'll go. I'll run with that. Um, do you want me, Chris, to read the IMDb <laughs> uh, <laughs> synopsis of Contact, just in case? Or shall shall we just wing it this week? Because there's there's a, there's a lot of science to 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 get get into. And as the scientist, you know, I uh, here we go. Um, Dr. Ellie Arrow. This is the synopsis, everyone. Dr. Ellie Arroway, after years of searching, finds conclusive radio proof of extraterrestrial intelligence, sending plans for a mysterious machine. The end. Thank you for your consideration. <laughs> Contact. Can we just do that every week? I'll save us all a job. <laughs> It's uh, very quick, very succinct. I liked it. I'm going to recommend to the president that we militarize this project immediately. There's no reason to believe that their, their intentions are hostile. There's no proof of that. Why don't they just speak English? Mathematics is the only truly universal language, Senator. Buried within the message itself is the key to decoding it. Those look like engineering schematics, almost like blueprints. It is our belief that the message contains instructions for building some kind of machine. A machine? It might turn out to be some kind of a transport transport the fact is you don't know what it does it could be anything nobody's saying this is dangerous they're gonna build it who gets to go though? it's complicated Ellie. who gets to go by doing this you're willing to risk your life you're willing to give your life and die for this why So, um, uh, it's the section everyone loves to hate. What are your individual histories with this movie? Uh, contact, Victoria. So, this is the second time I've seen it, and, and I'm just going to roll it into one, which I know it's going to make Chris uh, get stressed, but it's the second time I've seen both films, and I have to say, the first time I saw them, they didn't make as much of an impact on me as they did in the week, and the honest answer for that is because I didn't have any children, and now I do. And that increased my emotional response to both these films by a million times. So, Alex, that's Vicky's way of saying that me and you couldn't possibly understand these movies. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, Cheers, I'm speaking my own truth. <laughs> it was it's a very personal thing. <laughs> I, I, to be fair, I did sit and think uh, as I was watching this. I bet Vicky's crying because uh, if I'm cr if I'm crying and I don't have any children or a high opinion of them, 
Jackie is literally in pieces. I, all right, I'll go one further. I was genuinely worried about how much I was making Vicky cry. <laughs> with you, I, I didn't care because I, I don't even know if you can cry, Alex. But with Vicky, I was, I was genuinely concerned that I was turned her into a dribbling wreck. I so. was sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Chris? Uh, it was a video watch at uni, I think, 97. It was my second year at uni. So one, I would have made the lads I lived with watch, probably. They probably would have got a bit bored. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's a good film. That's a very good film. Um, but yeah, that's about it. And I haven't seen it since. Uh, but I, I was really looking forward to revisiting it. It was something that I wanted to revisit when Interstellar came out and I never got round to. So that's why I, I picked it this this time out. How about you, Alex? Um, so, yeah, I'm the opposite of uh, you, uh, Vicky, actually, because I remember watching this like on video at home when I was a lot younger and being really impressed with myself. Uh, I was like, oh, look at you, Alex. You have grown up because they are talking about some big themes in this movie and, and they're talking a, a lot and you haven't turned it off. <laughs> You're a grown-up. You're watching grown-up films now. And I felt very proud of myself. And this time when I watched it, I was a bit like, uh, all right, well, that bit's good. And then <laughs> later on, but we'll get to it later on. Um, I'll do a bit of backstory then, because actually there's quite a lot of backstory uh, to how Contact um, came to the big screen. And it all starts uh, with Carl Sagan. Uh, did either of you, uh, were either of you sort of very aware of Carl Sagan? Because I'll hold my hands up. The novelization of Contact, or the novel before the film, of Contact was on uh, the bookshelf in my, the house I grew up in, and I never once read it, but I did remember his name from it. Did you guys know Carl Sagan's work? From his TV stuff, a little bit, but I, had no, I haven't read the book. Yeah, what what Vicky said, from Cosmos and from just hearing yeah. and reading his name in various places, mm. including when this came out, uh, that is that is as much as I know about Mr. Sagan. So that show, Cosmos, was on American TV. And I'm, I'm guessing if you guys saw it, it must have been here at some point. I've never seen it, but it was in the 80s and it basically transformed uh, uh, who, uh, Carl Sagan, who was quite an obscure astronomer, into a pop culture icon. Millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people watched this show uh, around the globe. And he, uh, he won the Pulitzer Prize as well, although I think that was before for one of his books. And um, yeah, he was a, he was an icon, uh, really, and a, a good icon because he was bringing science and the wonder of the universe into people's lives, and people loved it. And that's who Carl Sagan was. Um, he then decided uh, that he wanted to um, make a movie after uh, the TV show Cosmos, and he came up with this idea for Contact. And Contact's quite interesting because it went from a movie to a book to a movie, or at least a screenplay to a book to a movie. Uh, he collaborated uh, with a woman by the name of Linda Opst on a treatment all about contact. And this was 1979. And a, an Uber producer uh, called Peter Goober, who I think we might have mentioned In last Clue, week. Yeah. He, yeah, he exec produced Clue. Yeah, he got and he hold produced, of this. He produced was, Batman as well, 89. And he's John Peters. And that, John Peters' May, partner, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So he got hold of it and um, in, in almost a classic John Peters way went, love it. Got a few uh, changes. Uh, no giant mechanical spider. <laughs> Not but, yet. Uh, he, he he wanted to add uh, some crazy stuff to the, the story. 
he wanted a, a Native American park ranger uh, who'd become an astronaut. And he also wanted um, Ellie Arroway, Jodie Foster's character in the film, to have a teenage son uh, who was estranged to her. Uh, because he felt, and when asked about this, even though he didn't produce the movie, he was asked afterwards, and he was like, I still believe this idea of a woman consumed with the idea that there was something out there worth listening to but can't make contact with her own child is what the film had to be about. Mm-hmm. Um uh, a couple of people didn't think uh, it should be about that, and that was Linda Opston, Carl Sagan, who were like, nope, not going in there. Uh, so Peter Goober disappears, and the film ends up at uh, Warner Brothers, amazingly and coincidentally, with Linda Opst, who at this point had become a producer at Warner Brothers. And so she brings Carl Sagan back in. He's published the novel at this point because the original film with Peter Goober disappeared. And so he's like, okay, I'll come back. She's like, great, let's make a movie that we're both happy with. So our friend James V. Hart from the Hook episode, he wrote Hook, uh, pens a script, and the Killing Fields director, Roland Joffe, comes in to direct. Uh, and then this falls apart as well. Roland Joffe leaves, and uh, they bring in another screenwriter, Michael Goldenberg, uh, who uh, wrote Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix much later in his career. And uh, they ask Robert Zemeckis to direct this. Robert Zemeckis says, no. He says, I first saw the script. It was great until the last page and a half. And then it had the sky open up and these angelic aliens putting on a light show. And I said, that is not going to work. And so he walked away and they brought Mr. Mad Max, George Miller in to direct it. So Miller's the one who casts Jodie Foster. Uh, he then approaches Ray Fiennes to play Palmer Joss, the Matthew McConaughey role, and he starts tinkering with the script himself. He's got these ideas. He wants uh, the alien wormhole uh, to swallow up the planet, transporting Earth to the centre of the galaxy. Uh, he also wants the Pope to be in it, <laughs> um, the character of the Pope uh, as a key character. Uh, Warner Brothers are going, uh, maybe, maybe, and then no. Uh, it's overrunning, so they fire George Miller, who um, eventually takes them to court uh, and uh, doesn't win. Uh, but he does try and sue them because he'd spent two years working on it. They go back to Robert Zemeckis. He goes, great, all right, fine, I'll do it. Uh, and his words on uh, doing it, uh, after he casts uh, Matthew McConaughey as Palmer Joss, uh, who uh, drops out of the lead role in The Jackal uh, to do this, I, I couldn't find out if it was a Richard Gere or Bruce Willis role. Uh, Robert Zemeckis goes, um, yeah, I, I decided to do it. But the, the fact is, no matter how successful this movie ends up being, it's always going to fall short of gump. I had to resign myself to that. To quote Carl Sagan, the mathematical probability that I would ever make a movie like Gump again is pretty nil. So I'm a bit disappointed that... Back to the Future doesn't get a mention. I mean, I like Forrest Gump, but surely he should be comparing everything to Back to the Bloody Future. I, mean, I guess he was just coming off the back of Gump, wasn't he? So it was the most recent And there are point some Gumpisms. Reference. There are some Gumpisms in this film. But um, that's where we are. Uh, there is a, a sort of subtext about Francis Ford Coppola suing um, a dead Carl Sagan, but... That story, Francis Ford Coppola, doesn't come out of very well, so I've decided just to omit it uh, 
Unless anyone thinks it's valid? I don't know it. He, su- he sued a dead man. Well, he says... <sighs> there's a story about how his wife, um, Anne Duran, um, Drew Yen, uh, basically, uh, after Carl Sagan had passed away, uh, the day after he'd passed away, Francis Ford Coppola uh, sent papers saying that him and Carl Sagan had actually come up with the idea for contact in 1975, and he wanted $250,000 in compensation. Ooh. And... Okay. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, Andrew Druyan uh, says of this, all I can say is when a man writes a complaint with his lawyer while your husband is dying after a third bone marrow transplant and then waits for him to die so he can file it, it's outrageous. And I, I, I struggle to disagree with that in any way. Mm. Nasty. Yeah, um, so that's, uh, that's pretty much it for how contact came to the screen. Uh, does anyone want to add uh, to uh, that backstory? Oh, no, I think you covered it all. Great. Uh, I, I did my research. Didn't write a synopsis, but knew a lot about that. <laughs> right then, let's talk about contact. It begins with an incredible opening shot uh, that I had forgotten about, which is three minutes 30 of us pulling back from Earth through the freaking universe. And it was at the time the longest CGI shot in the history of cinema. Uh, Complete CGI shot. Um, Does anyone know what beat it? No. It was the opening to The Day After Tomorrow, uh, which I I looked up because I couldn't remember it, and it's where the camera pans along the sea and the Arctic ice shelf and up uh, to find Dennis Quaid and his drill. And um, I watched it and went, I'm such a... Bloody idiot. I thought that was real. I didn't realise it was CGI, which because, oh. because I hadn't seen because I hadn't seen this film in 22, 23 years, I'd forgotten that opening scene as well. And when they started playing uh, the Spice Girls, I thought I'd put on the wrong film. Because <laughs> I wasn't expecting to hear Wannabe at the start of this science fiction drama. Um I, I guess. With that shot in mind, and before we sort of get into the nuts and bolts of this, the first question that should be asked is, do either of you believe there is alien life out there in the universe? Christopher? Yes. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. There is. That somewhere there's something. Yeah. It might not walk around and look like us. Exactly. And sound like us and be carbon-based, etc. But something. But then, I mean, I, I could talk about this for a long time because I because I don't know anything about it <laughs> so, so I don't I'm not able to like correct myself or sort of course correct myself like there are there are so maybe I'll save it for insert but something like sorry something like the Tesseract right we cannot see in forward mm. we cannot comprehend or conceive or whatever of a fourth dimension but you can draw a Tesseract or you can animate one so we have an ability to project our imagination and ourselves beyond what we are physically capable of doing within the confines of our world so i think i think there's life on other planet or somewhere else in the broadest possible sense of that word like we may not be able to conceive of it but mm. it still exists is what i mean i agree how about you alex it's a, it's a, it's a well first of all i will say it's an interesting time because as we record this it's just been in the news that they're saying they might have found or they there's a potential for there to be microbiotic life in the clouds of venus mm. did you see that i, I was like yeah. oh, love it how int- yeah um but no i mean I come from a different uh, angle, which is I truly believe um, 
we are in a simulation. I'm one of those people. I think the Earth is a simulation, and I, I feel quite strongly that that is the case. So if there is uh, alien life, it is being built into this simulation as an event that is going to happen to us because these higher beings that have created the simulation that we are existing in want it to happen. Because you have, I would say, a healthy ego, Alex. <laughs> I, I'm yep. I'm sure you think you're Truman and that this is all for you. <laughs> but everybody does. <laughs> no, this guy definitely does. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to entertain that with an answer. Uh, I'm just going to move on uh, to the fact that uh, the fact that the the, the the world is built up of like tiny subatomic particles, like um like pixelated video games. I, I think that's there's strong evidence. There's more than that. But anyway, yeah. Um, so next quick question, because it's going to be uh, a big part of this podcast. SETI. Uh, are you aware of the work of SETI? Because I bloody love SETI. I'd heard of it, yeah. Yep. I've read about it this week. So the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Um in loads of exciting movies uh, about aliens normally invading. Uh, but in this... Uh, uh, I, I discovered um, in my research that SETI, there is one signal, and it's called the WOW signal, mm. that uh, was discovered in 1977, uh, which uh, they still, it came from the Sagittarius region of space, and they tried to find it again in, since 1977. They've never been able to find it again, but they have also never been able to definitively rule out that it did not come from extraterrestrial life. Which is kind of freaking awesome. And SETI has become more relevant since this film has come out. Um, I don't think they were taken particularly seriously in before 97, but around that time we found the first exoplanet. And now there are, we, we know there are thousands of them and there are st statistics that imply there are millions of them. And so mm -hmm. there's kind of more reason to let SETI do their thing now than there was then. Yeah, it's interesting. I, there's, a lot of people sort of consider SETI as being at the edge of mainstream astronomy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's to do with the fact that, like, no matter how scientifically rigorous they are, they could never, like, really escape that association with people who believe in UFOs. And also because there's no way of ever, like, saying, like, proving, like, that there isn't alien life, like you can't sort of go. Yeah, it's well, not a negative. Yeah, it's a negative proof. Yeah, yeah. It just means that if they haven't found anything, uh, it's like like those civilizations might not be able to communicate. Yeah, but so hold up, hold like... up. It's the same for God. Yeah, am I right? Holy, holy shit! You holy... can't not prove holy... the non-existence. Something, something of God. Well, aren't the chances of anything coming from Mars a million to one? <laughs> That's the lyrics too. <laughs> but still, he they said, come. He, he said. <laughs> 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 oh my god, Jeff! That is still the thing that scares me most out of everything. Uh, any media ever is listening on my own to the vinyl recording of Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds when it's like woo 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 and the cylinder unscrewing it was so scary as a kid uh terrified me um right so uh two differing points of view here as vicky just pointed out there's dr ellie arroway in this film played by jodie foster and 
Palmer Joss, played by Matthew McConaughey. Um, let's do, let's do Jodie Foster first. Uh, what do you make of Jodie Foster? She's excellent uh, in the role of Doctor Ellie Arroway. <laughs> Just generally, she's, she's great, excellent, isn't she? and in this role, she is excellent. Yeah, she's brilliant in almost everything, and she's she just comes across as so authentic in yeah. this in this role. She brings a lot of emotion to it, and yet a lot of pragmatism. And you can feel her holding her emotions underneath the surface for a lot of the film. And she's just the best in the business. She's the so. best at that. Like she's the very best after Clarice at like some man has just stolen your limelight, babe, and you've just got to hold that down and just plot your revenge very, very carefully and coldly. <laughs> There's no one better for that. Like that scene in Silence of the Lambs where she's in the funeral pond and they're telling her what to do. And she's like, I've got this. That is contact again. Mm. Yeah, I mean, she's a really fascinating woman. I watched a lot of the interviews she did around Contact, and um, she says the big difference between her and uh, Dr. Ellie Arroway is that uh, she's not brave enough that she uh, would go into space, leaving behind everyone she loves to find the answers to the universe. Oh, can I ask uh, you a quick question? Yeah. So if you, when I was younger, I was obsessed with space travel and I made this like childish, like, you know, you just think, oh, I, oh, I'd do anything to be able to do that. And when I was a lot younger, I was like, oh, if someone said that you could go to the moon, but you might die when you came back, not definitely, but high, like 50-50, you might die. I was like, I'd still do it because it would be so incredible. It would be worth all my life to be able to have that experience. Would you do the same? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't do it. Now. Yeah, I wouldn't either. What? No, never at any point in your life have you felt like that. I I'd be more inclined to do it now, weirdly, than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was pretty much terrified, and I still am about putting myself in situations where I wasn't in control. Like I wouldn't go on a roller coaster, uh, so I certainly wouldn't go in a space shuttle because <laughs> I didn't mind being in a dangerous situation as long as it was within you my were control. Driving. The minute you start, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. If they let me, if they let a nine-year-old drive the space shuttle, I'd be all right. Yeah, put me on a booster seat. Go. <laughs> I would have been up for it when I was about four because my dad wrote a song for me and my brother about going to the moon. Am I going to cry now? Oh my god, that's so lovely. <laughs> I know the lyrics, but I don't think I should sing it. Um, and there was sing a... it, sing it, sing it. Okay, because there... and the reason I'm saying I would have been up for it is because there was a treat when we returned. I'm so, just gonna cry. I'm not gonna look so at you. So the song, the song was "I'm a little spaceman going to the moon." Oh, I hope to be there soon. And when I get there, I'm going to have some jam. And then I'm coming home again. Yes, I am. <laughs> so based on the fact that I would be rewarded with some jam if I go there, I was I was all over it as a little kid. That's really really lovely. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm going to be oh, a mess. God. Those lyrics are copyright Ted Tilly. <laughs> They're beautiful. I can't deal with it. I can't deal with any more parental child relationships than <laughs> I've had to deal with this week. It's... Oh, God. Uh, um, yeah. So uh, Jodie Foster says, I only work if it's a film that I really believe is important and exciting and moves me and has some kind of personal journey. Uh, she says, sometimes I think uh, actors who work too much don't have a life. They don't go to museums. They don't read books. They don't have friends. They kind of don't have anything to say, which I loved. I was like, bold, Foster, bold <laughs> statements. Um, and uh, her character is um, interestingly based uh, around the work of uh, Dr. Jill Tarter. Uh, now, Dr. Jill Tarter is a former director of the Centre of SETI, uh, and uh, she uh, she had a bit of a, a to and fro with Stephen Hawking, 
I don't know whether you remember, Stephen Hawking uh, said that we should stop trying to contact alien civilizations because they might try and conquer us or colonize Earth. And she says, I respectfully disagree. If they've got the technological capabilities uh, to contact us, then they won't need slaves or food or other planets. Basically, we should probably start uh, accepting that movies like Men in Black 3, Prometheus and Battleship are great entertainment, but should not consider them as harbingers of alien visitation. Uh, which I think is what happens when you're writing a press release in 2012 and you Google sci-fi films. <laughs> yeah, why do you jump to Men in Black 3? <laughs> she hasn't got around to watching one or two yet. Same plot every time, though. Because <laughs> literally, like, that, that, that statement came out in 2012. All those movies are 2012. She's like, got to make it relevant. Google. 2012. Google. Sci-fi movies. Men in Black 3, Prometheus Battleship. Haven't seen them. Pretty sure they're great entertainment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking battleship. Again, <laughs> like someone, a, a doctor going, battleship, great entertainment. <laughs> right. Um, so the other side of uh, the, the coin is Palmer Joss, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, he talks about the character. Uh, uh, as a really cool guy. Uh, that's <laughs> that what he words. says. <laughs> that's what, I just that's say what a Matthew really McConaughey cool says. guy. And <laughs> yep. are we done? Bye. Yeah, uh, at, at which point, uh, Jodie Foster said he got the girls' part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Because uh, there is a bit um, at the um, at the soiree, which we'll get to, where uh, she uh, she he goes to her. You look beautiful, and she goes. So do you. He does. Which I think is a really odd exchange like that you don't normally see where the girl goes, you look beautiful too. Like, not handsome or anything like that. Beautiful. Yeah, um, but let's stop objectifying so, him. Let's let's talk about his brain. <laughs> He's got a master's in divinity. <laughs> is that a thing? Because that mm. to me sounded like Harry Potter. <laughs> a what? <laughs> I thought in theology, but but again, I'm showing my ignorance. I didn't know that divinity was anything outside of Hogwarts. For real, I didn't I know I got that. a prize in divinity when I was at school. At Hogwarts. <laughs> 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 Uh, and he's against men who deify science at the expense also, of human truth. Also, I know I'm a bit truth. hung up by this. So it's nothing to do with spells, divinity. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. I don't know why I got a prize. <laughs> All right. My mum was just concerned. You, you're going to become the Pope. <laughs> but who knows? Because you don't know what it's about. Are you going to become a wizard? Who knows? <laughs> I think the, the best line from Matthew McConaughey in this early section is he's... So, he meets Jodie Foster and they sort of have a bit of a meet cute and they get on. And then later, very soon later, she finds out that he's a priest and he says, but I'm a priest. Oh, no, I used to be a priest and now it's all a bit sort of muddled, but I couldn't handle the celibacy. And even he laughs at that line. Like, I don't think it's the character. I think it's Matthew McConaughey being like, so I'm definitely going to shag you because I just want to clear that up right now. <laughs> I think with two lesser actors, I don't think I'd buy their their romance oh that's interesting because i still don't you still don't i no. really don't yeah, no it feels really false i i get why it's there to mm, give it that emotional anchor it's but just a bit contrived the bit where they she's like i'm so confused and he's like so am i it's like you've only slept with him once yeah and you don't really get on with him that well the, the idea is to create this tension at the heart of the film with these two people who are attracted to each other but separated by their ideology but because they have to they have to establish this so quickly mm. because 
it's ultimately it's not what the film's about. Well, yeah. I guess it is, but the romance isn't. Um, that yeah, I, I I think you're probably right. It doesn't really ring true. Yeah, he says uh, he describes it as uh, his character as he's in love with God and he's in love with Ellie. It's a love triangle with God. So uh, that's his take on Palmer Joss. Um, right, we've established our main players. Um, at hyperspeed, let's uh, crack on as we go through uh, this film. Uh, we start then after the massive cool intro, uh, which got, makes you go, oh, my God, this is, uh, this is kind of wondrous already. Uh, we meet young Ellie and the brilliant David Morse, who is not in enough stuff. I, I sort of went, I love David Morse as an actor, her dad. Uh, he's brilliant. And uh, like, I think what happened was, I was like, where is he now? Because I used to think he was in everything. But I think I just watched The Negotiator, The Rock, and Green Mile in quick succession in the 90s. And so I was like, he's the biggest actor on the planet. And he's not. But he still does a lot of TV. Anyway, he's very tolerant of young Ellie. Because uh, she says... when. <laughs> They're talking about CB radios. Uh, she goes, She goes. could we talk to the moon? Could we talk to Jupiter? Could we talk to Saturn? Could we talk to mum? Are there other people on other planets? At which point he doesn't go, have your fucking Valium and go to sleep. He goes, oh, that's nice, but mum's dead, so no. Um, and then uh, we're back into uh, Ellie as a grown-up, and uh, we meet uh, a, a truly... Truly wonderful character in this, uh, Tom Skerritt, uh, who plays uh, Dr. David, oh, I'll just call him Dr. Drumlin. Dave. But he, Drumlin, thank you, Dr. Dave Drumlin, who, uh, to uh, choose my words carefully, is a massive dick. <laughs> like, from the get-go, he is a dick. Uh, and he's trying to shut her down. Like, he seems to be going out of his way to shut her down. Um, and then she meets McConaughey. We've talked about their meeting already. Uh, they meet uh, on the set of GoldenEye. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that's the same, the big uh, the big dish uh, there is uh, the, the same as the climax of GoldenEye. If you, if you hadn't noticed, you probably did. It's quite obvious because it, uh, it looks the same. Um, and then um, Matthew McConaughey and uh, Jodie Foster sort of have a bit of awkward pillow talk, as Vicky says. Uh, he, he sort of starts asking about her dead dad, um, which is a bit, a bit weird. Uh, he, he, he sort of goes, uh, tell me about your dad. And she goes, well, he died when I was nine. And as if it wasn't sort of obvious enough, he goes, that's got to be tough. <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And then he goes, you know, being alone. <laughs> and she's like, uh-huh. He's like, you know, all alone. She's like, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, it was tough. And you're like, really? It's a strange thing for uh, Matthew McConaughey to do at that point. I don't think it's his fault. Uh, the night before, he quotes her dead dad, the... If we're if mm. we're um if we're alone, it seems like an awful waste of space thing. And she's like, oh, "My dead dad said that. Shall we sleep with each other?" So <laughs> it kind of you know it works. And, um, it, and it's it's kind of his thing as well because later in the film, um, he talks about technology making us feel emptier, lonelier, and more cut off from society, which I think is an interesting line because that predates social media. But I think that's how you could describe the way social media is making us all feel. I, these yeah, days. I do think it's a very. I mean, it's not the fault of the film; it's just a character. But it's a very privileged position to take to say like. All technology, all technology may have made um, people in 
the what quote marks first developed world feel a bit more alienated but there is some fantastic technology that is like saving people's lives etc and it, it, it like his like luddite approach to like technology is made as empty to me i found it i mean it's part of his character but i just that's so frustrating this idea that back in the day we all used to be much closer and mm. we all used to be more connected and and then you know you can go down a bit of a venomous rabbit hole with that because it's like there were more traditional gender roles and da 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 da, da and, it, and yeah. it's it's not the same for everyone and Good i times. just <laughs> <laughs> Good times. <laughs> I do you know we talk about this all the time. If I'd have been alive, like fucking even a hundred years ago, I would have been locked up so quickly. You wouldn't like, be on this podcast. I, I can tell you that. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, Alex and Chris show. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be gossip mongering you. Don't. I'm not over it. Don't. That poor girl. Oh. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, then, um, basically, all this this entire bit up until thirty four minutes, and I wrote the time down. It's just about how Jodie Foster bloody loves aliens, <laughs> and she bloody loves searching for bloody aliens. And Tom Skerritt bloody thinks she's wasting her life. Which is uh, there's a moment where you go, oh, so he actually cares about her. He doesn't. Uh, I, I, I go back to my initial statement: massive dick. Um, and so then she ends up at the very large array uh, in the VLA in New Mexico because she's got some investment uh, from John Hurt's uh, <laughs> billionaire, uh, who is great. And at 34 minutes, everything kicks off because you hear a signal, a really ominous signal. Uh, but just in case, um, just in case... Like after all this build-up about Jodie Foster really, oh god, loving like searching for aliens and desperately wanting to find a signal, she hears a signal and then she gets in a convertible <laughs> and she drives very quickly <laughs> while on a walkie-talkie, talking to people about this bloody signal. So you know it's exciting because a signal going, whoop, whoop, it's pretty exciting, but her in a car and then smashing through double doors, yes. still holding the walkie-talkie. It's brilliant. I'm like, fucking hell, astronomy's bloody brilliant. <laughs> it's so good. And it's um, like a tracking shot as well. It's so good. Loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then they, they start to decode the signal, uh, and uh, James Woods uh, turns up be when James Woods was bloody brilliant. Uh an interesting man now, uh, let's say. Depends on your views. Uh, <laughs> follow him on Twitter. You can find out more. Um, uh, no, James Woods, so- James Woods is playing an arrogant, ignorant pantomime villain in this film, which is, of course, who he became in real life. <laughs> oh, see? See, you went there. I thought I'd leave it. I thought I'd leave it up to people, you know. But yeah, I mean, he uh, he's there uh, when... And this is this feels like a very strange thing to say. Uh, mm. I'm going to prefix it with that. Uh, but I, I think uh, the bit with Hitler is great. It is brilliant because I'd forgotten all about it. And so you see the image on the screen. So the aliens are sending down an image in code. To another thing here, which again is my uh, weakness, which is like shit old technology. So computers in 97 don't really do anything proactive for the humans. The humans tell the computers what to do. So do this, do this. There's no um, program or system to help them in any way whatsoever, which I love. Um, but yeah, you see the image and I was like, 
that's a swastika, I, yeah. I think. And then it spins around. It's like, oh, fuck, it is a swastika. It's Hitler. And James Wood's face as Kitch is the be- like, it's the most comedy moment of the whole film. And he's like, right, we're fucking done here. <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of a crazy moment. Um uh, and then uh, the history of it, I believe, is correct. That that was the strongest signal at any point to show the technological brilliance of, of uh, the uh, the Third Reich. They did blast the signal into space. Um, and then we get to, um, in my opinion, and I'd love to know yours, a, a real stumbling block in this film. And that's when the actual bloody Bill Clinton shows up uh, to... <laughs> Give us, give us the lowdown on, on the fact that aliens uh, have turned up uh, in outer space and has sent us a signal. Bill Clinton's in the movie, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Clinton. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Bill. Um, and I'll tell you why, because it really works in Forrest Gump when he does it. But in Forrest Gump, those moments where they use a real-life person, uh, real presidents meeting Forrest, uh, it's done for, for laughs, yeah. and it lasts three seconds. Here, I spent the whole time going, I wonder what he was actually talking about that they've chopped up to be about this. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I, I didn't hear a word he said really. Cause I was like, I wonder what he was talking about. What was this actually about? Mm. Why have they done this? Yeah. They should his, have got someone else to play the president. His remarks were regarding uh, the discovery of an Arctic meteorite determined to be from Mars. And it wasn't. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was the probably. Alan- but yeah, that's what he was discussing. I, I mean, I remember when this film came out, being the little geek that I was, the biggest story around this film was the fact that they had Bill Clinton and they'd managed to weave footage of him into the movie. That was what people were talking mm. about. How strange. Because it, was, because it was such a new technology at the time. Now, I mean, especially with deep fakes and things, mm. it's just so normal to see this kind of thing. But that I'm was obsessed a re- with deep fakes, just to <laughs> put that out there. Well, we get, one, we get a weekly one from our friend Andrew, don't we? <laughs> Starring Alex. We do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't have a particular problem with it. I guess it meant they had to write out the character of the president uh, <laughs> that they would have written into the script. So it's now his like assistant, pretty much, who is the go-between. Yeah. And there are doors sort of closing that Bill Clinton's in or <laughs> yeah. just walked out of, um, which is strange. But I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, there was actually another actor who was going to play uh, the president uh, that Zemeckis had initially approached, and that was Sidney Poitier. Uh, Sidney Poitier was down to play the president, but in a weird turn of fate, because it's the second mention of this movie in the show, he chose the jackal (laughs) that Matthew McConaughey had vacated. He decided to be in the jackal, and so... um, Robert Zemeckis used the actual footage of Bill Clinton uh, talking about that meteorite that turned out to not really be full of microorganisms. So there you go. Okay, at that point, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, We'll be right back after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, 
they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So welcome back. Uh, right, we'll crack on uh, uh, with contact now because uh, there's uh, only a few other little bits uh, that really need talking about. One in particular. First of all, uh, I love John Hurt in this movie. This is the moment that I remembered most from <laughs> watching it first time as a kid. The fact he lives on a freaking plane. I thought he was, it was bonkers. And I know, again, this tech geek thing, I know it's wearing a bit thin, but think about when he shows Jodie Foster, he's like, I've been following you your whole life. Because our lives weren't yet digital, if you look at what he's actually done, he's made a montage of her life, which is so weird. How would he have been able to do that? There are no digital... He hasn't lifted images <laughs> from the internet, in quote marks. He's just made a montage of her. She should be terrified. Yeah, he's probably had someone following her around. He, his, his introduction is like that of a Bond villain. Yeah. And I listened to the uh, the Robert Zemeckis commentary on the Blu-ray of this one, and he he compares that character to Howard Hughes, and you do see he does sort of have long nails, like oh! Howard Hughes did at the end, <laughs> and says he says he is what happens if Bill Gates ever loses his mind. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's um, turned up and he's helped her figure out the schematics to the machine. And so now she knows how to build the machine and she goes to Washington and she goes, guess what? Um, I know how to build the machine. And then massive dick Tom Skerritt talks all over her and mansplains <laughs> everything she says uh, and basically installs himself, despite having been anti her work, the whole thing. He basically takes credit for her work and installs himself as the guy in charge of the project to the point where when they're deciding who should go into space, it's her versus him which i, which I like is... to call this section of the film earth's got talent <laughs> <laughs> i was distracted by the the sort of the seriousness the gravity pun with which they talk about who's going to get the place in the machine seat i thought mm, i would have given that another pass i don't have a better suggestion right now but i wasn't paid millions of dollars to write the script but i think the machine seat is poor but if the three of us were up for uh that seat who do you think we get picked I'd, I'd get picked and then I'd die because of Jake Busey and then one of you would go in the second machine. <laughs> I don't think Vicky would get picked because uh, she's got kids, so she's staying on Earth. Look and after I, her kids. like I said, I'm very humanities-driven, so I'm pretty useless up there. Oh, yeah. You'd be, you'd be the major John Russell character, Vicky, where there'd be a, a, some news footage of you with your kids and the kid would turn around and go, I told my mum I didn't want her to go. I know, but Which I is... think that was like, because he's like, so I said to my kids, I'm going to go to space and maybe die. And then my kids said, no, so that's kind of it for me. And it's like, well, good. <laughs> well, oh, no, but the fact, 
stop wasting everyone's bloody time. <laughs> it, like it, this is you, ask you kids first. Don't sort of go. Yeah, I'm not going to mention it. Is it a big deal, <laughs> yeah, darling? You should tell the kids. Yeah. You should tell the kids. All right, kids. I'm going into space. I might never come back. Uh, can you not? <laughs> right, hadn't thought of that. Let me go on TV and tell everyone I'm dropping out. Yeah, but also make the child say, "It's like it's clearly not up to me." And if it was up to me, I would, but I can't. Yeah, yeah. And then when the like the little sister chimes in as well, she's like, "Daddy, don't go." Not how children talk. Like, Where you have you been? That, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, it's more like a squawk, yeah. isn't it? They, they're squawking. They're a species of squawkers. Species. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jodie Foster goes to a party uh, dressed like she's just walked off the set of Interview with a Vampire, uh, which is... I do love that bit. I like the bit where she says, oh, you know, where can I find a great dress? And like shows that she's nervous of running into Matthew McConaughey again. But, uh, yeah, Uh, Interview with a Vampire. Angela Bassett Bassett clearly hates her because she goes, yeah, sure, I could give you a good dress. Yeah, it's bad. It's, it's a bad. bad. One, yeah. It's bad. This is my missus. Her first time watching Contact. She thought the film was brilliant, but she thought Jodie Foster's look in that scene was bad. It's more the hair. It's very, yeah, very hair. Lord of the Rings. She was upset with the hair. Not good. Um, it's grown up Kirsten Dunst from Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> yeah. Full stop. That is what she looks like. It is. Um, uh, anyway, this is where Matthew McConaughey, uh, uh, you know, he sort of goes, wow, Tom Skerritt is getting all the dick moves in this movie. I'm going to pull one here and totally does a number on her and basically goes, do you believe in God? Uh, do you, though? And she's like, no. And they go, you can't go then. So mm. uh, giving Tom Skerritt the ability to really bloody rub salt in the wound, he's like, not only does he go, yeah, I believe in God, but I also don't think you should send anyone who doesn't believe in God. Am I right, guys? Am I right? Am I right? See you in the machine seat. <laughs> he, he, in these scenes, and then the scene where Ellie congratulates him um, at the launch pad, and uh, where I wrote down, he's such a bastard. Um, he just exudes yeah. insincerity. Yeah. So brilliantly that you want to throttle him. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's the opposite of yeah. the last film he did with John Hurt, where he was this heroic figure in Alien. Mm. Yeah, uh, but uh, like that movie, uh, when Tom Skerritt ever gets close to meeting an alien, things don't go well, mm-hmm. uh, which is exactly <laughs> what happens here. He uh, he ends up in uh, little pieces all over the desert in uh, what I think is an amazing sequence uh, mm. where Jake Busey, who we haven't really mentioned yet, um, uh, sort of uh, it's this like a religious zealot and blows the crap out of the machine. Cue John Hurt turning up going, ah, I'm on the Mir space station now because of cancer. <laughs> uh, so I, I've i got another machine. Uh, and you can also land on a ship. And like, at this point, there's one moment in this movie where I'm like, what the fuck is that? And that's when there's a, 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 a vertical takeoff and landing passenger jet that lands on a ship. And I'm like, when is this movie set? Because that plane does not exist. Uh, is this in the future? I don't know. It's just an opportunity for Robert uh, all, Zemeckis uh, show, to show off uh, his visuals. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then, except when John Hurt is in zero gravity on the Miss Base Station, that is not good visuals. Uh, he sort of like moves in a very strange cardboard cutout kind of way. Very strange. Uh, then she gets in the machine, and then we get to talk about this bit. Uh, <laughs> they call it the ride. Oh. Uh, the the, the uh, director and the producer, they call this sequence The Ride, where she's travelling through the wormhole. It's cool. Hmm. 
Yeah. She sees an alien city at one point, I think, down below her. And then, yeah. like, at the center of she? the galaxy is she? where she arrives. Oh, we'll get to the old does the, she. The, the blues, yeah, all does she. The blues and greens and reds coming at her, those are the colors of the chakra. That's what that's how they decided mm. to to um, do the coloration of that sequence. The, the vibrations radiating through our bodies. She see, by this point, we've decided to call the aliens vegans. Oh yeah, that's a bit weird. <laughs> we didn't even clock that. Vegans, vegans. Mm, though they that, just but... spelt vegan, but they're, <laughs> they're vegan. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, but when she sets off into the wormhole, the bit where she's like, "Okay to go, okay to Love go." It. I don't know why, but that made me. It made me tear up yep. where she's going, okay, to go. Uh, there are, the only problem I have with that is, like, no one can hear her. And then Kent, uh, William Fitchner's character, goes, I-, I can hear her. She's saying, okay, to go. And absolutely no one double checks that. They go, <laughs> all right, fine. Fine, fuck it. Press he's, in. Like, he's been right all the way through the film, though. Yeah. Uh, what I love about this scene, I, know. I only watch and, well, I watched this sequence a couple of times. Second time is the last thing she then says is, oh, God. Really? Which I think is a re- that's a big oh, moment in the film. Chilling. Yeah. I, that's I've gone cold. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good bit. There's a, there's another bit though where they're checking all the signs, all the technology signs. Oh, I, I know sure what you're going to say. Got... And I was like, look, this is a and, massive and moment. So... She's like sat on top of her own death. Why has she got dialogue mm. that's like door alignment looks good and whatever else? <laughs> because that's but I think they do that in real life because in real life. As an astronaut, you don't you are a certain type of person, but the machines do a lot of it for you. So in order that you don't panic, they like you to repeat very basic things to keep you from fucking going, This is not right and I need to get out. So it sort of plays true to life. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It wasn't that moment though. It's the bit where one of the people in the control center turns to another and goes, How how are we looking over there? And he turns back and goes, Looks good to me. Which isn't an official kind of answer. <laughs> what you wanted to do is go, the machine says it looks good. You don't a- offer your own opinion. It's like, yeah, looks about it looks right. good to me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, let's send her. Why, why not? What the fuck? Let's have a good time here. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so she goes through this wormhole. She sees an alien city. Or does she? Or does she see what aliens think she believes an alien city looks like? Yes. Because there's a split second there as well after she's seen that where you kind of mm. see a machine above her. Okay. And then it disappears again. Yeah. And so I think you question, you start questioning then, or so the second or third time I watched it, are they broadcasting all this for her benefit? All these things oh, that she's okay. expecting to see? Because then the stars are shining in the same pattern as they're shining on the poster on her wall. Um, so then it could be a hallucination. Yeah. Are we... Are we talking about on the beach here? No, no, before she gets to the beach, the journey to the beach. Is this all uh, for her benefit? Oh, I see. Okay. Because there does okay. there's a I split t- second and, and Zemeckis says, you know, it's up to you to make up your own mind, but that you it does look like there's a machine above her. Yeah. That could be projecting I, I all said, of this. I so I, I say oh, it's interesting. I did I didn't I didn't remember the bit where she her face de-ages into the child and then re-ages again. I'd forgotten that bit. Uh that was creepy. Mm. Didn't like that. Um uh, although it did make me think when I saw that and realised they were de-aging her there. You know the bit where she meets Matthew McConaughey right at the start in the jungle? He does not look good in that scene. And I wondered if they de-aged him in that scene, and that's why he looks a bit chubster around the face. 
what you talk? What you talk? Why would they de-age him? I have no idea. What he's playing about. his own age because yeah. he's about nineteen or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but because quite a lot of time passes between their first meeting and when they meet again, and he's like an advisor to the president, <clears> and when he meets her in the jungle, his face looks weird. Go back and watch it. Anyway, let's not do that now because we're on the bloody beach. Who wants to go first on what they think? of this moment on the beach. Uh, I think it's beautiful. I think it, the the heady mix, the power of the message, which is you are not alone and you are special, is completely irresistible to most human beings, especially you actually thinking about it. So I don't know how you weren't in floods of tears. I mean, this is, this is what I remembered from the film was this scene. And I, I, when I watched it in 97... I believe I was more innocent then, but I took it all at face value. I thought she was meeting with the aliens and I thought it was a really lovely ending. They gave her this gift that she could be with her father again. And it was just very emotional. But now I'm a bit older and more cynical. I'm starting to question that. I really am. Um, Whether this actually happened. Obviously, there's some evidence right at the end. There's like a postscript. But, you know, that Arkham's Razor thing that they keep talking about. What's what's more likely? Did she have hallucination? Because there's just too many things. There's too many things in there that are uh, in her head. We know they're in yeah, her head. Yeah, but I think that I think I love the Occam's Razor reverse, where mm. she uses it on Matthew McConaughey to sort of disprove God, mm-hmm. and then they use it on her to disprove aliens. Um, but they don't go into enough detail. I'll come to it, but to sort of really make that hit home about how she may have been, how everyone's been duped. Yeah, the bit on the beach is. Utter bollocks. Uh, <laughs> now we're cooking. It is. It's the most I've watched at this point over two hours of film to get to this bit where her dad shows up on a visualization of a drawing she did as a kid. All of this I can deal with. Some people hated the CGI. I didn't hate the CGI. I was like, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's every single thing that comes out of that alien's mouth <laughs> is the most frustrating thing it should be to her she's cool with it for me i'm like what are you doing what are you talking about she sort of goes so um so the 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 machines that, that you've used to to bring us here did did you build them and he goes uh no actually no we didn't so some other aliens built them we think well they were ba- basically they were here uh they were here when we got here and she's like Oh, okay. So you didn't build them, but you're sort of here to talk about. It. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We didn't build them, but anyway, I'm I'm here. They're like, so, so, um, are there other uh, people? Do they all come here? And he goes, some do, some don't. Uh, <laughs> if I'm honest, we saw contact people, and some just don't. Uh, you you have though. You're here. So hello. All right. And she's like, right, okay. So why why us? Oh, because you you humans. You have such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares. She's like, she doesn't go, are you a fucking walking cliche? But okay. Uh, and then, then she sort of goes, what happens now? And he goes, you go home. That's it. That's your lot, I'm afraid. Off you pop. Go home. We're done here. And she's like, but I've got questions. And he's like, uh, he's like uh, yeah, really? More? And she's like, well, yeah. Do I get to come back? And he goes, yeah, in time. Eventually. Eventually you'll take another step. I'm not going to put time on it. We don't know <laughs> when. But, you know, we might have you come back at some point. It is like he's an alien 
who doesn't normally do that job, but the alien who normally greets people <laughs> who've come through the machine is off that day, and he stepped in, but he forgot to print out the notes on what to say because she's just like, so give us something. And he's like, oh, man, do you know, the other guy does this so well, <laughs> but I, I, I'm, you got me. <laughs> what are the chances of that? We didn't know you were coming today. Um, if you, if you want to email me with any questions, I'll pass it on to him. Alex. It's fucking ridiculous. Alex, you've just ruined contact for me, for Vicky, and for everyone listening. So congratulations. Because <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. He is right. That's annoying. Um, <laughs> it's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, but don't, don't you think it's interesting? <laughs> it kind of gives credence to your theory, Chris, that it's all planted there by the powers that be on Earth Ooh. because there are no answers because we don't have the answers. So you need to get... I don't know. It doesn't really make much sense because why you need to trick Jodie Foster. But you do trick her. And then when she asks an, a searing question such as, how did we do this? They're like, yeah, don't know. Because they don't know. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, I, I wasn't suggesting that it was planted by someone on Earth that was doing this to her, but I like that theory as well. This okay. is all good stuff. This is all good. <laughs> I just at what point I just couldn't get over the fact. It's like, did you did you build the machines? No, they were here when we got here. <laughs> it's like, uh, what, 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 the, how, uh, what, just what? Anyway, she goes back to Earth, and this is where the, this is where I got. I was angry. I really don't like the fact that this movie ends with James Woods and Angela Bassett knowing that there were 18 hours of static and that is never revealed to Jodie Foster yeah. before the movie ends. I think it's unfair so that she, she gets called up in front of Congress. I don't understand how it's her fault. They're like, explain yourself, Jodie Foster. Didn't you just get a bump on the head? It's like, I don't know. Is it her fault? Why is she there to explain it away? Well, I mean, because she's claiming that she went to an alien world, isn't she? She's like, I've been, I've been, I've met some aliens. Mm. So she's I mean, not they, they didn't. For anything they didn't... as a result of that, she's not like, I've seen aliens. Please, may I have a hundred billion dollars? She's just like, I've seen aliens, and that's great. I think, I think it's the doesn't James Woods go? We spent a billion dollars on this, uh, so we need some answers. And also, 18 hours of static. I know about that. You don't. And I just hate the ending where she sits at that canyon looking at the stars, and you're like, she seems kind of forlorn. Is that because, A, like she's going to spend the rest of her life not knowing that there are 18 hours of static, so she did go somewhere? Or is it because the alien told her shit all and sort of like has never emailed about who built the fucking machines? Never emailed. She's like, can you tell me how email works no, as well? She, she, <laughs> she's not upset because she hasn't known about the 18 hours because the whole film is about her finding this faith. It's in, faith. In, yeah, in, she in has this... faith that it happened. She believes it happened. And that actually ties in with a, a, a real life quote from Carl Sagan that I found where he said that science is not only compatible with spirituality. Yes. It is a profound source of spirituality. Exactly. Most of the most, most of the most, most best of scientists... Carl, At hello, Carl. <laughs> Particularly, I believe when you get into like higher maths, they don't not believe in God. Most of the more scientists don't not not believe in God. Okay, so put that on YouTube. Do you know what? I th I think I think you make a really important point. I think I watched this movie, especially the first time, and a little bit the second time, thinking it was about whether aliens existed or not, and then I realised at the end it's not about that. It's about you know. God versus science, religion versus science, and the compatibility in that argument. So I think and love. I'm, yeah, sure, and love. Yes. 
Yeah, sure. Love. Exactly. Like at the point at the ball where she looks like grown up Kirsten Dunst. When I don't like this moment, but I like what it is trying to do when she's like, how can you believe in God, Matthew McConaughey? What a load of rubbish. And he says, did you love your dad? Then prove it. And she looks very shocked. I do think if she was asked to prove it and she had a bit of time to think about it, she probably could. But the point is made. And and now I'm thinking about it right this second. I'm realising that this is, is similar to Field of Dreams and that you're led to believe it's a movie about a group of baseball players, but it ends up being about a, a father and son's love for each other. And, yeah. and that's what we're getting here. And that's why it's so beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not massively keen on the James Woods theory at that hearing uh, that uh, John Hurt, was basically Ashton Kutcher punking the entire of the world <laughs> and he set it all up and it was like, but isn't it possible? And she's like, oh God, yes. Yes, James Woods, you're shouting a lot. Um, yeah. So good. Um, bits then. Uh, let's do best scene. Uh, Christopher. Um, I had something else, but based on your anger at that scene <laughs> on the beach, I'm going to say the emotional payoff when she gets to play baseball with her dad. Sorry, what shooting stars with her dad? <laughs> Quite right, <laughs> Vicky. Uh, it's I'm okay to go. I thought it was amazing, amazing. It's an old, you know, this is an old film, but it looks good. It looks really good still, and that scene is really thrilling and scary. It's brilliant. Um, I, I agree with you, Victoria. Okay to go. Okay to go. Love that scene. I, I've also got a second one, which is the first machine being destroyed. I think the spectacle of it being blown into pieces is incredible. And it, it reminded me that like between that and the plane crash in Castaway and the plane crash in Flight, Robert Zemeckis is an incredible action director. And yeah. I'm still holding out for a full-blown Zemeckis action movie at some point. Uh, MVW, Chris. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's hair, especially when it's up and the wind is blowing through it. When it's down, it's not quite so good. But in this film, it is spectacular when there's just a bit of air passing through it when he's outdoors. <laughs> uh, Victoria. Uh, Jodie Foster, obviously, but also the machine. And I don't have the name of the designer, but it, I love the machine. And I, it seems very realistic, as in, if you said to me, I'm going to build an alien machine, I'd be like, that's that's what that should look like. Yeah, the alien machine. Um, oh, I, I did have the name somewhere, but it was left over from Terminator 2, the design for that machine. It was going to be used in Terminator 2, uh, and it was uh, the scene was dropped, but that's where that design came from. So it's, it's, it's cool. It's a cool machine. And mine is um, quite simply Tom Skerritt. Uh, I think mm. he plays that role absolutely perfectly. And of all the characters, he's, for me, the most believable. And you've met that guy and you know that guy. And there's a real reality to this whole idea of him sort of being like the a scientist who's monetizing science and sort of talking about that bit where he goes, what's wrong with science being practical or profitable? So I, I think he's 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 great, really good uh, as a massive dick. And finally, what would you change, Christopher? I'm torn here, so I'm giving you two. I'd either have the transmission really be from Hitler, um, <laughs> or uh, have an alien burst out of Jodie Foster's chest while she's in front of the congressional hearing. <laughs> I think those are two directions. That would be fucking awesome. Oh, you two... want proof? You want fucking proof? <laughs> <laughs> those are two directions the Mechas could have got done and that would have made this film a bit more exciting. <laughs> um, uh, 
I would change. Right, so when um, James Woods is like, couldn't it have been John Hurt? Based only on the fact that he's mad and rich. And I just needed one more line that was like, he did this once, which was very much like this. Or he has, beyond the money, he's done a stunt before that was similar in scale or scope or whatever to really push that theory across the line. Or... And I can't decide between the two of them. I think Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster's relationship, which is uh, done much better in Interstellar, they could be friends and it would still have an emotional impact and heft. For me, they don't have to be... They're, they're not very good as lovers, so fuck it. Sack that off and have a really uh, deep, important friendship instead. Very good. Alex? The fucking alien on the fucking beach. That whole her dad. sequence. Her, her dead dad, you mean? Yeah, fine. Whatever. You know, dress, dress Have it up. Have it be Hitler on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you're here. Making a side <laughs> I've been sending that signal out for ages, babe. Where have you been? See, hi. <laughs> right then. We have reached the end of contact. That is me done handing over to you, Christopher. Tell me you've got a quiz. Okay, I'm going to call this the space race because we've got to get through it quite quickly. We've been here a long time. Um, I am going to give you one-star reviews of popular sci-fi movies, mm. and I want you to tell me what the film is. These, okay. are, these are drawn from IMDb. Great. Number one. Here's the recipe. Take Cloverfield, Transformers, Battleship, and as many cliches as you can possibly find. Now crush them all together. Spread that out on any old worn-out story... Now add excessive shaky cam and pouring rain in every scene. Pacific so Rim! Can Pacific Rim! Oh. Correct. Oh, yeah. Correct. <laughs> uh, okay, what, what film is this a one-star review of? Unimaginative, boring dialogue, rigid acting, no climax, nothing. The aliens are copies of copies from other movies. The weapons that the human forces use are ridiculous. Starship nothing Troopers! Like Lost in space! <laughs> what did you say, Alex? Starship Troopers? Yeah, it is Starship Troopers. No. Nothing like extremely slow-moving refrigerator-like suits... Interstellar. ...to fight extremely fast-moving objects. What? Ref uh... So, suits that look like Ali refrigerators fighting very fast-moving aliens. Um, um... You got nothing. The film was Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, man! Um... Number three, I can't say I've seen too many movies more depressing than this, and it's supposed to be a big, exhilarating action movie, but it's really not. Gravity. The tone, photography and dialogue show a bunch of characters marching to their death in the grim, most isolated way possible. It's not fun. It's too long, too loud, ugly, <laughs> stupid and reprehensible. Oh, and Ben Affleck sucks. Um, Armageddon. Correct. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Correct. It's 1-1. One, one. Uh... Number four. Uh, why do you have to add politics and forced multiculturalism to every movie? Jesus. Is there a committee in Hollywood who demands that every single movie has to include the American flag, American nationalism and women who are good State. leaders? Independence Day. <laughs> it's like all the movies were written by the same people. Time to change, Hollywood. Ridley Scott, how could you? Alien. Alien. Um, I don't think you should. I don't think you should read out comments from people like that. <laughs> Why is Hollywood showing films with women who are good leaders? Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ! Come on, it's the other big. It's a Ridley Scott science fiction film. Um, Blade Runner. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, 
Oh, fuck's sake. Prodigious. Oh, the Martian. Correct. Thank you. Oh, God. Vicky gets another point. What? Who's it? Oh, Jessica. She's like barely in it. Two left. Uh, this was like Spike Lee directing a George Romero movie that could have been an hour shorter. World War Z. All of the, no. All of the infected look like Gollum from Lord of the Rings mixed with Beowulf. Oh, um, that thing with Will Smith in it. Oh, what the fuck is it called? Uh, I am legend. You're not even allowed that because... (laughs) Correct. It's too old. It's too old. We're going into the final clue. The final film. Um, Okay. This review says, I've seen many bad movies, but this one must be among the five worst. The effects are worse than the graphics in Pac-Man. The ship must be made of rough carton. Uh, It's from 1973. Dark Star. Correct. Yay! (laughs) <laughs> well played. Uh, there was going to be a bonus point. There doesn't need to be one now. But uh, the question was going to be, if it had been a draw, what connects these movies? We've done all of Correct. them. Correct. You get another point. Yeah. <laughs> he whitewashed it. Oh. Right. He's pissed off, isn't he? You can hear no, him. Yeah. He, no. he took a pause there. No, fine. Really, really good. Uh, right. Um it's your choices next week, Victoria, so why don't you oh, yeah. follow up your win with a clue? <laughs> this clue. Ready for this? Okay. <laughs> You're going to be so mad. It's really rubbish. <clears throat> the course of true love never did on the run smooth. <laughs> Interesting clue. <laughs> That's all right. I don't know what the films are, sense. but it sounds all right. Yeah. It doesn't make a word of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, be- it's probably better written. We'll put a better clue on Twitter. That's your clue for next week. Uh, the course of true love never did. On the run, smooth. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, that is it. We will be back on Thursday, Clash Potters, to go through Interstellar. Uh, as far as contact's concerned, we may not have answered the question of if there's aliens out there, but I guess I'd say if there is... Oh, shit, I fucked up the quote. (laughs) Bye-bye. Yes. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.